This systems engineer has served the federal government as employee, contractor, and consultant for 50 years and still going strong. Last week, he discussed just-completed work with the National Academy of Sciences, examining the future of the interstate highway system. But I also asked this former assistant Army secretary about a few other federal issues, starting with how the military is looking at Silicon Valley, new procurement techniques, and other measures to modernize. Here's Norm Augustine. And while we have you, I know that uh, as former, it's been a few years since you were acting secretary of the Army. The Army is another one of those organizations, like the highways, that is in pretty desperate need of modernization, which Army leadership itself acknowledges. And they've been looking at Silicon Valley, and they've been looking at new procurement techniques and a lot of different measures. What's your thought on military modernization and Army and how they can get around past wars, so to speak? It's a very good question. The, uh, uh, just to cite an example, you mentioned when I was in the Pentagon, I first my first tour there was in started in 1965, and the systems. There were five major systems that we set out at that time to try to develop and build, which uh, indeed happened. They all five turned out to be very effective. Uh, believe it or not, those are the same major five systems that our army is using today. Uh, what is that? 45, 55, 64 years later, and uh, the uh, it, it's. Uh, our, the equipment has been modernized unquestionably, but there's a limit to uh, you, you can't modernize a, uh, a uh, DC-3 into a, a uh, 747 or something. It, there's just a limit on what you can do, and the military also is facing a challenge in that regard. And do you think that Silicon Valley, where they have been focusing so much attention, holds possible answers? Uh, yes, indeed. And, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, during that long period of time, uh, technology has totally changed. If you compare the technology of the 1960s with the technology today, uh, for example, the uh, the uh, cell phone has only been around 12 years uh, at this point. It is dominant in so many areas. And so the, the equipment we're trying to use is clearly obsolescing, if not obsolete, in, in my view. And what about your old employer? They have been on the forefront of a lot of development programs, although the fifth-generation fighter has been something of a challenge. Well, I, I, as you mentioned, I've been retired 22 years and don't have any uh, real connection with the firm anymore. Uh, these systems uh, tend to be very costly, and one of the reasons is that we tend to buy very small numbers of them, and so you have to amortize the development costs and so on over a small number. Of, of products, uh, whatever it may be, a tank or an airplane or a ship or what have you. And it, whereas in uh, World War II, at the peak, we were building 50,000 airplanes a year in this country. Uh, today, to build a, a few hundred is would be truly remarkable. And so uh, the cost just with those low quantities evident, uh, just sort of inevitably goes up, which is not to say that we shouldn't do everything we can to hold the cost down. But that World War II notion of the learning curve, when you were going from a prototype to tens of thousands, as you point out, different scale, different order of magnitude than going from a prototype that takes much longer to develop to maybe a few hundred or even a couple of thousand. Well, absolutely. Uh, if you look at the, the, uh, the B-2, for example, I think we built 21 of them. Uh, that wasn't a Lockheed Martin airplane. It was another company, but it, it makes the point of that you cite uh, – the investment cost and development is huge compared with the number of products you get out. And it, 
the, traditionally, the cost of an airplane drops about 15% every time, the average cost every time you double the number of airplanes. And so we're nowhere near down the learning curve today. The same is true of highways, incidentally, that uh, the highways are, uh, that we want today are increasingly sophisticated. They are going to involve a lot of electronics, a lot of communications between vehicles, between the roadways and the vehicles, and uh, it, uh, that that's going to add to expense, too. We certainly won't be building 49,000 miles of highways. Sure. And with respect to some of the military systems, I mean, a highway, you lay it down, and that's the way it is for, at least directionally, forever. In military systems, it seems as if sometimes the military tries to gild the lily and put every possible requirement onto a device like the F-35, and therefore you lose modularity, you lose flexibility. And in a force that says it needs to be more agile, it seems like they're going in two directions at once. What's your take on that? Well, there's some truth to what you say. The, uh, clearly, as you add more and more capabilities to a, an airplane or a ship or whatever, uh, it tends to become more complicated and often, therefore, more costly. And uh, it takes a great deal of discipline to decide where to draw the line. The, the challenge that the folks in the Pentagon face is that uh, uh, they're dealing with people's lives, and they want to give them the best airplane they can give them. And uh, it may be that uh, we have to learn to settle for more airplanes with less capability, but that usually means more, more fatalities in combat. So it's a very tough issue. And you have been in this business, as you point out, since the McNamara era, and you've seen a lot of secretaries come and go, a lot of administrations come and go. Are you optimistic sure about are you optimistic about where we're headed? Uh, generally so. Uh, there were a number of years where uh, after uh, the, the collapse of the Berlin Wall where there was sort of a feeling that uh, the world was going to be peaceful now and we wouldn't have challenges so we basically uh, took uh, what was referred to as a modernization pause, and uh, we now, I think, are paying for that to some degree that we have to uh, do some catch-up. But uh, the, the Congress seems to recognize that, and certainly the public does from the surveys that are shown. So I'm generally optimistic that uh, we'll deal with this. The, the real challenge is that uh, other places are, are moving ahead. We all know what Russia's doing. China, uh, interestingly enough, uh, uh, as we are speaking, uh, I say that within a year or so either way, uh, something that's not generally known and should be in the headlines of every paper is that China, in absolute terms, uh, in purchasing power parity, is passing the United States in its total investment in research and development. And that should worry us a lot. Because uh, one of the issues that they're investing in, one of the places they're investing is space and satellite systems. And I guess about 10 years ago, you looked at a project of NASA and looked at where their future was going with space flight. And looking back now since then, how would you rate what they're doing and the prospects for getting back into space, as they put it, to the moon by 24 and some days, maybe if we're still alive, to Mars? Yes, that was a project that I chaired for uh, President Obama, uh, kind of the future of the human spaceflight program. The uh, the uh, robotic spaceflight program uh, has gone forward uh, and been, I would say, very successful, uh, much along the lines we would have hoped. It, uh, But, of course, the robotic pack- packages, unmanned as it's referred to, uh, those are very inexpensive compared with moving humans in the human spaceflight program. 
The human space flight program has been underfunded by about $3 billion a year compared with what we had recommended. And as a result, uh, to date, there's uh, not been a, a human uh, more than 250 miles from the surface of the Earth uh, since our report was done, or actually since the Apollo program. And uh, today, of course, there's an effort to uh, resuscitate that program, uh, go to the moon first and then hopefully to Mars, which uh, would be in agreement generally with our recommendations. But uh, that will be very expensive. It will require sustained funding. And I'm less optimistic there just based uh, on past history. And looking at that one way around, some of the cost, I guess, is the word you hear in so many domains, and that is robotics and autonomous, that is, without people. That's true, and uh, that's certainly a major factor in the work that we were doing on the interstate highway system. We were asked to look forward 50 years, and uh, as you look forward that far, it's, uh, in my view and our commission's view, that uh, it's highly likely we'll have automated vehicles, fully automated, both trucks and cars. And uh, that will pose a whole new set of uh, challenges to the uh, highway system. And uh, their challenges that technology is advancing so that we can deal with them. But we have to prepare for them, and we need to start preparing now. Now, people would have to look at your bio to find out how old you are, and I'm not going to say it on the air, but do you find <laughs> some time to do some fishing or to relax a little bit? I sure do. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll give it away. I'm 84. I still work full-time. I have an office, all pro bono work, mostly for the government, doing these kinds of commissions. And uh, I've got many hobbies. I've, I'm into photography. I've traveled to 128 countries now. I've been to the North Pole and South Pole three times, and uh I have uh, three grandchildren I'm very close to, and uh, I like to read. I write books and uh, just have a long list of things I enjoy doing. So uh, I was told by many of the experts that I wouldn't like retirement, but I must confess it's, it's been a good part of my life. Norm Augustine is former assistant secretary of the Army and retired chairman and CEO of Lockheed Martin, among other things. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Still to come on Federal News Radio, the question is, did anyone learn anything from the 35-day longest ever government shutdown last year? Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 